What's up, small group? It's good to have friends in the church, amen? Amen. I see some wonderful faces out there that are are good to see again, and thank you so much, everyone that's tuning in from home. It's truly good for us to be together. It's good for us to be able to read God's word today, and it's good for us to to gather in our homes and to gather here in person. Uh, We're in the second to last chapter of Hebrews today, and I've learned so much by studying this book. I hope you have as well. Uh, I've been blown away by how amazing the book of Hebrews is, and uh, I'm indebted to so many believers that I've learned from as I've been studying, but especially this week, none more than the writings and study of Jen Wilkin, who you're going to hear most of her thoughts today, not mine. Uh, And it's just a blessing to learn from so many Christians and to be able to share what we learn as we study God's word and, and study what people have explained as we try to unpack what the Bible says. And so my hope as we read through Hebrews chapter 12 today is that you wouldn't hear any original thoughts from me, but that we would just clearly understand exactly what God's word says. So would you pray with me in that, that that that's what we would hear? Uh, Let's pray real quick together. Uh, Jesus, we just thank you again for this opportunity to open your word. Uh, We thank you for this opportunity to gather as a church. And God, we just pray that uh, you would help us to clearly understand what's true as we read your words today. We pray this in your name, amen. Now, before we jump in, as usual, I have an audience question, all right? So my question for you this morning is a really simple and direct one. Have you ever wanted to quit? Have you ever wanted to quit? Now, some of you are wondering, oh, wow, that was quick. (laughs) Okay, I don't need to ask a second time, right? Have you ever wanted to quit in some difficult relationship or students or or those that are in your studies for advanced degrees? Have you ever wanted to quit school? Teachers, maybe you've wanted to quit school, maybe this year. Uh, Have you ever wanted to quit your work? Have you ever wanted to quit some project at home? I think with a resounding yes, all of us have gone through the feelings of wanting to quit. Because if you have never wanted to quit, you're probably not doing it right, right? I mean, to put yourself into your life and the relationships and all that God's put around you, it can be wearisome. So I know that as we open God's word today, that all of us share this in common, that we can come with tiredness and wearisome, not only because of our struggle to do what's right, uh, to pursue God, to be faithful, but just because this world is a broken place. So what if I could tell you, uh, you guys can start the, the time back there, by the way. What if I told you this morning, what if I told you that through God, There was a way that you could endure in all of your relationships, in all of your work, in everything that you do, that you could do it with love and with joy and with peace and with patience. Would you want that? Is that, would you want to have that? Well, the author today is going to talk about a metaphor for our life, and he's going to talk about running the race. And he's going to show us, as he kind of summarizes everything we've been through in Hebrews, that indeed we can have faithfulness and love in all the things that we do. 
And so that's where we're going to jump in today. And as I've organized this message, I've done it a little differently. Rather than giving you sermon points, I've just titled each section. And we're going to go through five sections. It's going to seem like a lot, but it's going to fly. It's going to go quick. And don't worry, I'm going to get off here real soon. You're going to be able to sing again. Uh, But we're going to go through five sections. It's just a summary of the book of Hebrews. And he's going to talk about running the race He's going to talk about why God disciplines us so that we can run the race. He's going to talk about the call that all of us have to be holy, to be like God, and to live at peace with everyone. And then he's going to remind us of why the new covenant through Jesus is better than anything we've ever had before. And a final warning to worship and live with God is first place in our heart and our life. So you guys ready? All right. Well, let's begin. Uh, Verse 1, you guys can turn with me to chapter 12 of Hebrews, and I'm going to have the verses behind me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross." despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he starts off and he says, therefore. And anytime in the Bible that you see the words, therefore, we have to ask ourselves, what is it there for, right? And what he's talking about, why we should run this race, is he's going back to where Pastor Eddie left off last week and the very end of chapter 11. And he's reminding us of all those faithful ones that came before us, that died never receiving what was promised to them. They obeyed God, they walked with God, and they never fully saw all the promises of God that he promised them come to be. And it was told to us that they were not made perfect because God was still working. He was still calling people to himself. You see, God is not done doing a work even today until every last person that he desires to be saved is called unto himself. Jesus Christ will not return as judge of this earth. And so they died waiting for this promise of the kingdom to come, of Jesus Christ to come and eliminate sin and pain and suffering for all because it was yet to come. And he tells us then that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, this cloud of witnesses is not, is not focused on us. Think about it. This whole book has been about the supremacy of Christ. And we're told in these verses to fix our eyes on Christ. This cloud of witnesses that had yet to receive everything that was promised have their eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of their faith, Jesus Christ. They're looking to Jesus. They're not looking on their race. They're not looking on our race. They're looking to God and they stand witness to us, not of their faithfulness, not of their accomplishments, but of the faithfulness of God to all generations. All those people that we read in the last chapter say that God is who he says he is. And God is going to do what he says he's going to do. But then we're given this metaphor for our struggles, for our life, and we're told to run. And and not just to run, but to run with endurance and to lay aside 
every weight and every sin. And what he's talking about is in the Olympics, it would have been weird to watch the Olympics like this today, right? But in the, in the Olympics back then, he's giving an athletic metaphor. Uh, what do you think they ran, they, they ran in for their races? Guess what do you think they wore? Anybody know? Nothing. They didn't wear anything. They were naked. They ran completely naked. They competed in events. That would be really weird today. We'd be like, well, I don't know uh, if that's uh, public television, right? But they didn't want to have anything on that would encumber them, that would slow them down. So the Olympics were nude, right? Because they didn't want to have any weight that got in their way. And he's telling us, just like these athletes that competed, that are there things that we're carrying right now that are just dead weight, and that's my question to you this morning. In your life and wanting to be faithful in your family, in your schoolwork, and everything that God's put in front of you, are there things that maybe you're holding on to that are things that you don't really need to be carrying that are not what God wants you to be holding on to? Imagine trying to set out and run a marathon carrying bricks. You wouldn't get very far, right? And then he tells us as well, as well that we need to lay aside every sin. And how do we do that? We do that through the power of Jesus Christ. And we need to run with endurance because it's a marathon, not a sprint. Endurance is withstanding pain and hardship. See, today we try to idolize a life that is free of pain, that is free of hardship. If anything comes our way and it's difficult, we say to ourselves, this must not be of God, right? God wouldn't bring anything difficult into my life. We think patience isn't a virtue. I love how Aaron Ivey says, God is not DoorDash. Usually God takes us through the moment, not delivering us from the moment. Let me say that again to you. Usually, church, and you're suffering right now, God is going to bring you through it. He's not just going to deliver you from it. And why? Because he's teaching us how to live, how to be faithful, how to run a race that is always going to be laced this side of eternity with pain and adversity. And so he says, we need to run like all those in the cloud of witnesses by setting aside sin and setting aside weight and he continues, this race, the end of verse 1, that is set before us. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's saying, who do we have to run this race? How can we run this race? We have Jesus, who ran the race perfectly. And we need to look away from everything else and set our eyes on Jesus, who's the founder and perfecter of our faith, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And it says that he ran the race and endured with joy. Jesus didn't go to the cross for us because it was his duty. He went to the cross for us. He came to earth and left heaven because of how much he loves you and me. For the future joy that he knew was before him, 
He wasn't thinking about that moment. He wasn't thinking about what he was going to go through. He was thinking about this moment now when people would be gathered in Laredo in their homes and in this church and across the city through the ministry of this church to hear of his love and how he's defeated sin. And we don't have to be held back by sin anymore. That We can have a new life and new hope. He set his eyes on the joy in front of him. And that's the same thing that God invites us to do today in our present difficulties. And we no longer have to live in shame because Jesus Christ endured our shame on the cross. And where is he now? He's seated. He's seated at the right hand of God. His work for salvation is finished. We don't have to add anything to it. It's done. All we need to do is to trust Jesus. So we need to run the race of our life by fixing our eyes on Jesus, setting aside dead weight that God doesn't want us to carry and laying aside sin, which can so easily trip us up. You know, church, throughout the ages, how revival has started in churches, mostly through old ladies praying, okay? Mostly through women who know they're going to go meet Jesus and they're like, I need to pray for these people, right? But seriously, it's come through prayer. And the other thing that's always sparked revival in the church is a radical commitment to fight sin. Can I confess something to you this morning, church? I struggle with sin. Some of you guys, you know, are, probably should laugh a little harder, right? I struggle with sin, and I know you struggle with sin. Every week there's a battle for our heart. And this passage is telling us that we can endure. And it would be a cruel thing for him to say this if it was upon us, but there are actually things we can do by looking to Jesus so that sin doesn't have victory in our life. Let's continue. Verse 3. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have yet you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So he continues to point us to Jesus. And then he's going to talk about how this fits together with God's discipline in our life. He's going to help us see that God's work behind the scenes in our life helps us to fix our eyes on Jesus, helps us to be, get training, to be strong, to become mature. So let's continue to read here. Verse 5. And... Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. In these verses we're going to read right now, verses 5 through 11, about God's discipline, the word discipline is used nine times and chastise once, so let's just round it up for 10. 10 times we're gonna hear about discipline. And, and why are we gonna hear about discipline? Because it says right here in verse six, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Hear that, church? God's discipline in our life authenticates our sonship, our daughtership. It means I belong to God. It means that he loves us. We need to remember our identity that we're God's children. Especially 
when things aren't going our way. For it might just be that God's treating us as his child. You see, when difficulty enters our life, we tend to think of it as punishment. We tend to think God must be punishing me or God doesn't love me or this is for the things that I did are wrong. But he's not because that would make God unjust and a liar because Jesus has already taken all the punishment for our sin. And so he's not punishing us. When we go difficult things, it's not punishment. But rather, because the punishment has already been paid, God can use these circumstances that we go through behind the scenes to bring about our maturity, which should give us a new perspective on showing up to work tomorrow. It should give us a new perspective about that difficulty you're going through in a relationship right now. This is not some punishment. It's not some curse. It's not some, God, why did you do this to me? Why why are you being unfair with me? Actually, the difficulties and the suffering that we go through is God weaning off all the things that we need to let go of so that our heart and our mind reflect him more. God is able to use this difficulty to develop us, just like an athlete, this, this parallel of of athletes in training still holds because athletes have to have discipline and discipline is not always pleasant. I remember in high school, when basketball season came around, our coaches would have us do these drills called suicides and 560s. And suicide is where you'd have to run and touch the free throw line and run back and run to half court and back and the other free throw line and back and then, and then the whole court and back. And it was constantly being timed. And we would run these over and over in 560s where we had to run the basketball court, the length of it, and back five times. So basically 10 times. And we, if we didn't make the times, our coach would immediately make us do it again and again and again and again because he didn't want us to get outrun by any other team in Laredo. And you knew things were just getting good in practice when the first guy found the trash can that was conveniently placed not too far from the court and went and threw up. And it happened many times. And I remember how painful it was. And you're just there huffing and puffing and you're thinking, my coach must hate us. And sometimes we hated him. But he didn't want us to get to the game and get embarrassed in front of all of our friends and family because we didn't have the conditioning to keep up with some other team. So you see, church, when you go through painful things, it's God at work bringing about his righteousness in our life. And this discipline's going to continue as we continue to read. And God's going to show us that we have another better This whole book has been about how Jesus is better. And he's going to say, we have a better father. Let's continue to read verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Every parent that loves their kids discipline them. Verse 8. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Because this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time 
as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Who doesn't want the peaceful fruit of righteousness in your life? Who doesn't want that? But do you want it if it's going to come through discipline? That's what he's saying to us this morning. And we're given this parallel between an earthly father and a heavenly father. And every earthly parent is limited in their wisdom and they're limited in their time that they can invest in our life. And as you get older, I think you kids or all of us, we get to the point where we kind of reflect back, right? And we're like, yeah, I think mom and dad kind of killed it here. This was awesome. And then we're like, ah, that wasn't so good, right? I know I want to do the best job I can for my son. And it kills me that I know I won't be a perfect father. Because I so want to be. But you know what about God? Nobody's ever going to say that to him. Nobody's ever going to get to heaven one day and say to God, you know, God, you could have done a better job, or why did you do this, or you had the wrong timing here with this situation, or no, we're not going to say any of that to God. We're going to stand before our heavenly father in heaven one day, and we're going to look at him, and we're going to say, wow, you loved me perfectly. Everything that I've grown to be and have is all because of your perfect fatherhood in my life. Let that sink in for a moment, church, with your present circumstances. God doesn't get anything wrong. Let's continue. Verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. He's saying that because discipline is good for us, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. He's saying, get training. And so how is it that we endure then? We endure by fixing our eyes on Jesus, setting aside sin and dead weights that he doesn't want us to carry, embracing God's discipline, the process that he's taking us through, not fighting it, but embracing it right now, church. And then he tells us, how do we endure? What's the fruit of this going to be? We need to strive to be like Christ. We need to strive for holiness and peace. Let's continue. Verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You see, back in Hebrews 4, we were told to strive to enter God's rest. And now he tells us, strive for peace. And here's the ironic thing. We think that peace is something that just descends upon us like a dove, right? Like it's just, you just walk into it. You know, I'm just at peace. That person's always so much at peace. Nothing could be further from the truth than how the Bible describes peace. Jesus says in his famous sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And what does he say next, right after that? He says, right after that, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Jesus, what? Why are you going to talk about being persecuted right after you talk about being a peacemaker? Why? Because if we seek to live at peace with everyone, we're just going at war against the natural sin and rebellion in this world. And that contentious person, that fractious person, it's going to make them even more fractious. 
because all of us reject against what's right. And so uh, we need to understand that if we're going to be holy, if we're going to seek peace, it's not going to be easy. But God says, do it anyway. Does that ring true in any way to you right now, church? Is there anywhere in your life where you're trying to seek peace and it's not easy? It's because God's saying that this world, his work is not done yet. He's still calling people to himself. And he says, I want you to be a shining light of what's true and seek peace. Verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it that many become defiled. In our seek and our desire to have peace and our desire to be like God and be holy, he's saying we need to be friends with one another. It's through friendship, through caring for each other, through carrying each other's burdens. We can confess bitterness and receive the grace of God and repent and forgive others. Verse 16, see to it that no one is sexually immoral and unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Now we, we see this example of unholiness. Esau becomes an example of unholiness. And what's interesting about him is what was his sin? Esau's sin was that he let his appetite and his immediate desire, his immediate need drive his decision. He was the original pragmatist. He had faith in what was seen, a good pot of stew, not in what was unseen and to come. And so it's like sexual immorality. It's compared, his life is compared, even though he wasn't sexually immoral, it's compared to the same because what is to be sexually immoral? It's to be pragmatic. It's to say, I just want to have this here and now and to think of getting what you want now without any thought of the future or the consequences of what God says is good. And it's a warning to us to say, see to it that no one is like that. Treasure what God says is true. Treasure what God wants to give to us. Verse 17. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. He wanted the benefits of God, but without actually having God himself. And by the time he went for it, it was too late. The moment had passed. So we enter into this section. It talks about the old covenant and the new covenant. And I'm, I'm not going to read through those verses today. You can continue at home to do that. But I do want to explain what he says. He says that there was two mountains. There was In Exodus 19, the, the first covenant came down to Mount Sinai. And the second covenant is our future place, our future mountain, Mount Zion in heaven where the real temple is. Because the old covenant was a shadow, but the new covenant through Jesus is the substance that fulfills it. And he tells them, they were warned before. They were told before, turn to God. And he says, just like before, now turn to God. And we're told about the blood of Abel, that the blood of Jesus and the new covenant is better than the blood of Abel. Why? Because the blood of Abel showed us the horror of sin. 
the blood of Abel cries out for justice. Cain killed his brother because his sacrifice wasn't accepted. It was the, the entrance of what happened in the garden where God said, if you eat of this fruit, death is gonna come. And this was the first murder that ever happened. But Jesus' blood doesn't cry out for justice. It cries out for mercy for sinners. And it's the first of what's to come, that there's forgiveness for sinners. And we see these two differences in the blood and he tells us that the blood of Jesus is better. Let's read verse 28. Therefore, it's our final warning. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. What does worship look like? What is our response to God's discipline, our response to God's love, our response to all that God invites us look to look like? It looks like living in awe of Him, in honoring Him. So I was reading this, I was thinking about my son and, and he loves our lawnmower. He's obsessed with it, right? And whenever it's not running, he goes and sits on that thing in the garage and he thinks it's like a horse and he's just going crazy and he just loves that lawnmower. And then whenever it's time to mow the lawn, we get it out and he stands behind mom because he hears it thundering and he knows it's cool and he can't wait to push it. He's got a little, a little toy one inside, right? He can't wait to run the lawnmower, which is gonna be great. I just let him do it. But he knows when it's going that, you know, he's so little that he needs to stand back. He gets it. And we're told, yes, God is loving, but we need to understand something, church. He is also holy. He is going to judge one day. And he's saying this final warning in these verses, do not reject him. Because everyone that rejects the love of God is going to endure misery forever. And so he's saying, have a fear, have an awe, have a respect of who God is and embrace his love. Don't treasure sin, treasure the Savior. And so church, this morning, I know that we all came in with things that are hard for us to endure present circumstances that we'd rather not be going through. And that is the Christian life because we are not in heaven yet. And the teaching and the promise of God's word is that we can actually endure those difficulties. We can actually find joy in them. We can actually find faithfulness in them if we will do everything to fix our eyes on Jesus and embrace his love, embrace his discipline, let go of sin that deceives us. And so I just want to close by asking, what's your plan this week? What's been holding you back from totally fixing your eyes on Jesus? Do you need to be in his word more? You know, there's like a zillion Bible plans on that on the Bible app, right? Just pick one. 
Do you need a friend? Pray. Pray that God would send some friendship and encouragement your way. Do you need to be more connected to the people here of this church? Maybe if you feel it's the time for you and it's safe, come join us on Sunday. Or join a small group. We have them on Zoom as well. Reach out to other believers. But we cannot do this alone. But we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And whatever you need to do, don't let the devil distract you this week. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the power and the truth and the beauty of your word. And God, I thank you that there is hope for us today because of your son, Jesus. And so as we've read this book of Hebrews and next week we'll see all these practical examples of how we can live out this life of worship to you. God, we pray that you would just help us to fix our eyes on you this week, to run with endurance. And when we get to a little bit of pain, not to shirk it, not to get frustrated, not to become angry, but to just pause and thank you for it, Lord, and to ask you what you might be doing in our life, to humble ourselves and realize that how might you be making us more like you and how might you be strengthening us? And God, would you set our hearts that we earnestly would do everything to seek the peace of others in our relationships and the peace of others' relationship with you. Would we go out from here and we tell others about this hope to be reconciled to Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And God, for all those this morning that something's burning in their heart, that they say, I want this hope. I want to be reconciled to God. God, we praise you and we thank you that you're not done yet that you've called people today to yourself and you're still calling people to yourself. We pray that you would encourage them, that you would supply them with all they need to grow and that you would use us as your church this week to be that light into the community. We pray all these things in your name, amen.